This is Vigneto, a podcast. From the sun and soil they grow. From the land and sea they roam. Drinking wine in the great unknown. So I'm here with Kathleen Wilcox, who is a freelance journalist for many uh, publications and who is very focused on sustainability, which is why I asked her to be on this session of the Vigneto podcast. So how did you first get into writing about sustainability, Kathleen? Sustainability has always interested me. Um, it, I actually started writing for a newspaper when I graduated from college. It was very close to my parents' home. I was, you know, doing the post-college, live at my parents' house, figure out what I want to do. And that's really when I started believe it or not, because I would go to town hall meetings and it was, um, the newspaper was called the Lewisboro Ledger and it was in um, Westchester County, New York. And people were very into sustainability even back then, which was, you know, 2000 um, in Lewisboro. And people were very concerned about every step of the process of development. So they would talk about the lizards and the frogs that could be impacted. And I really started to kind of put things together and um, understand what an impact it has on every part of the world. Um, So really, since I began writing. That's so interesting. So you came at it not through the wine business, but through uh, like a town planning board meeting talking about development and how a, a building or some industrial complex might impact local wildlife. Yes. And then um, my first kind of quote unquote real writing job, not um, working for a local newspaper, which I still think is a real writing job. Um, I 100% agree. Local news is the best. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Um, a firm believer in local news. Me too. Me too. And I, um, but I did work for Thompson Financial, Thompson Reuters for a number of years. And I did um, a newsletter about um, investing and anytime I got a chance to write about sustainable investing, socially responsible investing, I did. Um, so it's, you know, there's so many different ways to tackle the subject. And when I eventually um, kind of was able to write about my passion, which is, you know, wine and food, sustainability, I always knew would be central to that. That's so interesting. I was a reporter for Dow Jones. So we have some things in common. I oh, have no yeah. idea you. Yeah, that's really interesting. So you wrote about social impact investing. Yes, yes. Yeah. And I mean, you you really begin to learn how the, just the stock market works. And um, if you just invest in some of these larger funds, how it, a lot of it goes to socially irresponsible investing and that right. fossil fuels is, you know, not just unsustainable, but yeah community issues and everything else. That's very interesting that you came at it through through that lens. And in terms of the term sustainable, so I decided to call this podcast of the sustainability series. And initially I did a series with Sunny Gandhar, who you may or may not know, um, who is a, a vegan wine expert. And she really disliked the word sustainable. She felt that it didn't actually connotate anything, but I like the word sustainable. So can we talk about the term sustainable and what does it include for you? Like, What do you include under that rubric? I, I agree with both of you in a way because I use sustainable a lot and I, I 
um, think it can be a useful term. I also um, think that Sunny has a point in that um, there's a lot of greenwashing involved when sometimes brands use the term sustainable. To mm -hmm. so me, I'm, I don't have to, you know, I'm not rigid about it. Um, I think that just trying to be more responsible, taking steps in the right direction is a start because we need, obviously, we are really in a crisis. And if you can take more extreme action, great. But for some of these brands at this point, it's not realistic to go biodynamic or to be completely solar powered. So I think that making better choices, um, putting fewer inputs and then reducing to no inputs of um, you know, chemical fertilizers and fungicides is a great step. And I also think that um, energy, you know, I know that you and I have discussed sometimes our frustration at getting really um, great wines in very heavy bottles. It's totally yes. unnecessary. Yes, it is. So there are a lot of ways that you can um, be more sustainable. That is absolutely true. It is something that I actually is a real kind of, I get like a bee in my bonnet about that, about these, you know, gorgeous wines, but why do they have to come in these heavy bottles, which first of all are hard to carry, they're hard to pour. And more importantly, they aren't sustainable and it's terrible for the environment and the cost both to the producer and to the client is unnecessary. I think that that's a trend that maybe I hope will will end at some point, at least I, I see that some producers are actually focused on that now more than in the past. In the past, I'd only spoke to a few people who are really on top of the glass issue. So going on the trend topic, are there current trends that you're seeing in the wine industry in terms of sustainability? There's a micro trend that I actually just recently wrote about for Wine Searcher about um, how more and more winemakers are removing that um, tinfoil capsule because it's really just a relic of, um, you know, ancient, back in the day, they needed that tin capsule to keep out bugs and other, you know, vermin. But it's totally, it's really unnecessary. And now it's an aesthetic issue. Um, so more and more winemakers are moving towards that, I see. And I think that small steps like that are really important. I also think the can trend, I know it's very controversial. A lot of people um, think that you can't look, I mean, are we going to age a Cabernet in a can for 25 years? No. But I think that for most people, um, you can have a really nice wine in a can, especially I think rosés and um, bubblies do really well in cans. Um, and I, I definitely see those two as being um, growing trends. Um, and I think the more I talk to wineries, the more I think, look, they're farmers and a lot of them are on the West Coast um, that I speak to regularly. And they've been, they've seen climate change with their own eyes, with fires, with droughts. Um, so I think more and more people are taking action in the fields and in the, in, in the wineries in a lot of different ways. Yeah, I, it's interesting about well, all of those are interesting trends to me, but the one about the capsule, I actually only had that conversation with one producer, which is who is the same producer. His name is Luca Formentini, and I actually interviewed him for this podcast recently. Uh, we had that conversation 
as part of the conversation that we had about the lighter glass bottles. So he was sort of in line with both of those two things. I didn't realize that there was a whole movement towards that, generally speaking, but I am happy to hear that. And in terms of cans, I myself, I have to say, I've been guilty of thinking, kind of dismissing wine and cans, but I was talking recently to a, another colleague a journalist who was saying, you know, we drink plenty of wines in bottle that are not, you know, necessarily something you want to lay down or keep. Why can't you drink it out of a can? And also this summer, I was talking to Christy Frank about people going out and hiking and biking and traveling and carrying a wine in a can is a lot easier, right? Absolutely. And I mean, you know, mom life, I think uh, Saratoga Springs where I live is very outdoorsy. And, you know, if we're all getting together with a bunch of friends and we go over to someone's house and there's a pool party or, you know, we're, like you said, hiking and biking, cans are much more practical. You can throw them in your backpack or in the cooler. Absolutely. They, and they float, right? That's exactly. what Christy was saying. She was saying cans float. And I had been one of those people who was like, no, I think I even wrote about it once on my blog. Oh, I would never drink, a, you know, but I, I saw the error of my ways this summer. And <laughs> after speaking with her, but also I was in, on, uh, in Cape Cod and I, I was really excited to buy some wine and cans to, you know, bring to the beach. This was a really nice thing to, a nice thing to do. So I am a convert uh, to that as well. What do you think about, um, kind of black, like boxed wine. Do you have a view on that? I do you also, think that is more sustainable? I do. I definitely think it's more sustainable. I know like Domaine Bousquet, um, and they are just really knocking it out of the park when it comes to sustainability. They um, launched a bag in a box and they said, I spoke to them recently for another story and they said it sold insanely well during COVID. And I think it's a great option. Um, you know, Robin Shreves, uh, one of my friends and colleagues, talks about bag in the box a lot. And I think it's a great option if you, again, don't want to drink an entire bottle in one sitting um, and you want to have one glass of wine um, here and there over a course of, you know, four weeks, you can do that with a bag in a box. And they're great. Um, Fetzer, Bonterra, they, they do some great bag in a box, um, high quality organic wines, and they're very inexpensive. And look, again, it's not wine that you're going to want to age and, you know, write volumes of poetry about, but it's good and it's solid and it's delicious. So, and it's so much more sustainable. Right, exactly. Do you see differences across regions within the U.S.? I know you're you live in Saratoga and you speak with a lot of people. I'm sure on the West Coast. What do you see in the middle of the country in terms of producers that you speak to or wines you've tasted? Do you see interest in organic, uh, biodynamic, and or sustainable wines? Well, I was in Virginia recently, and um, there's really only one. Um, organic producer there. And that's because of disease pressure. Right. Um, it's really hard in certain areas. I really would love to get to Michigan. Um, and I've heard so many good things about the wine there. And I think that they have a little bit less disease pressure. Um, and I, you know, Pennsylvania is doing great things, but again, all of these regions and the Finger Lakes too, um, there's just so much humidity and black rot. But actually I was speaking to um, 
a winemaker in Oregon and they are trialing um, these great robots um, that basically zap black mold. And so it would be able to, we spray something like a hundred million pounds of fungicide a year in the United States alone. Um, oh and if we could, it's insane. If we could That's reduce so that. That's so distressing. It's really upsetting. And I mean, it's been linked to cancer. It's been linked to, you know, deformities in aquatic animals. Um, if we could just even reduce that significantly. Um, and I think that one of the things that we have to do is really think about solutions like um, using robots in the vineyard to spread UV light, which basically kills um, the black, you know, the black mold and all kinds of other diseases because spraying chemicals is, isn't working. It's not. Did you write about that? I'd love to read your article about that because I am not informed about that. I'm actually, it's, it's an article that I'm working on right now for um, Wine Industry um, Network. So I, I will um, send it to you when I'm finished, but I'm excited about it. That, that sounds very interesting, actually. I just, I, it's an aside, but did you hear about the sommeliers being replaced by robot sommeliers? No. In some places in France, in some wineries, no. uh, they're, they're coming up with robot sommeliers, I believe in France, although that seems insane. But, <laughs> but I had a conversation this week about that and I thought, no, how would I feel about that? I'm not sure how I feel about, it. I feel great about a robot spraying black rot. I'm not sure how I feel about a robot sommelier. I'm, not I'm sure with that you. I would be. Yeah, I'm not sure I would be interested in that um, since there are, you know, not so many uh, jobs in the in the industry. But to get back to the topic which, of this podcast, which is, of course, sustainability, are there countries that you think are doing a really good job? If regions are different within the U.S., what about different countries? What's your view? I think that certain countries are doing a, really going out of their way. Um, I know that in South Africa and in Sicily and um, Alentejo and in Chile, there are really um, amazing efforts being made. And in Chile, it's really interesting because they don't, it's not just environmental sustainability, it's social sustainability. And then right. of course in Bordeaux, I mean, when they announced that they were allowing new grapes to be planted, that was revolutionary. I mean, I that think is it, revolutionary. it's crazy. Yeah, and it is. I, I think that that speaks volumes about what, how serious the crisis is and how seriously other regions and countries are taking it. Um, I, I do think that people, and the thing is in Europe and to a lesser degree in certain other um, regions of the world, there's more government support for wine and the industry. And unfortunately, we don't really have that in the U.S., that's a great point, which I haven't really talked about a lot on, on this podcast. That's a great point. And because the reason that I called this the sustainability series was because in Italy, where, as you know, I, I spent a lot, of, a lot of my time and I'm, I'm very quite focused on Italian wine. When they talk about sustainability, they include employees and the environment and the community. And so that's the way I look at sustainability, not just what happens in the vineyard or with air, land and water. My kind of definition is sort of this wider view. And I, I do know that um, in, in other parts of the world, such as Chile, they do think about it 
in that way. And in Argentina, I was looking at the website of Bodegas Norton and they had a sustainability part of the website and then a social responsibility part of their website. So they had it sort of next to each other, but not under the same umbrella, which is the way I had thought about it. Because in the United States, we don't seem to look at it that way. And I so agree. You agree about that? I do. And I think we need to. I mean, I think that Black Lives Matter and social movements may have hopefully pushed us more towards thinking about social sustainability, but I, you know, we have a long way to go. We do. We have a long way to go. And of course, it is true what you were saying about the financing in the United States of these kinds of initiatives. I mean, most of, you know, the tastings that go on in the United States are paid for the European ones by the European Union, right? And exactly. so there's a lot of support for that. And there's a lot of support also for producers who want to be organic or, you know, biodynamic in some of these countries, which we don't have here. I, what about regenerative agriculture? Do you have a view on that? Do you write about that? Have you thought about that at all? I do. I think that regenerative agriculture is really the best way forward. Um, I think that I, I actually did a piece fairly recently on sheep in the vineyards for um, wine enthusiasts. And I was so excited to talk to the producers who have sheep in the vineyards and learn about what a difference it makes because just their feet, just walking through the vineyards can really help aerate the soil and re resuscitate the soil and um, encourage life to grow. Whereas if you have, you know, tractors, it really compacts it and it deadens that life. Um, you know, a handful of soil should have a billion different um, little microorganisms, but frequently um, because we overwork our soil so badly, it's, it's really dead. And I think that um, regenerative agriculture really helps with that. It also helps strengthen the vines because it helps the water, um, you know, be absorbed more efficiently by the vines. And this is all just by having sheep walk around the vineyard, take care of your weeds. You don't need um, the chemicals sprayed in the vineyard as a result. So that's like a, you know, tr triple win that way. Um, and I think that people need to think more about about um, kind of out of the box regenerative agriculture because it's kind of these old ways that we got away from um, to do shortcuts that have created a lot of the problems that now we're battling. That's so true. I actually, I remember reading that article that you wrote. That was in the Wine Enthusiast, right? Right. Yeah, I read that. I thought that was a great, that was a great piece. And I just read yesterday a crazy article about some man wants to clone woolly mammoths because he wants to have woolly mammoths walk on the tundra in Siberia and break up the peat moss, which will help with erosion and soils and climate change. I mean, that sounds insane to me, but it's sort of the same concept, right? Yeah, I read about that. And did you read that article? Yeah, and the, yeah, si the, science, Tuesday, the science times. Yeah. Right. And that, I mean, you have a, a child around the same age as mine. And that's, I kind of, we talk about it at dinner and we'll look through it together. And it, it really kind of gets, gets you thinking. And we all had the same thought. We thought, you know, it's a great idea, but there could be some implications that might yes. not be. That might not be. My son loves the movies Ice Age. So, you know, the woolly mammoth is kind of present in my mind. Yeah, there's actually 
Yes, you know the movie I'm talking about. I love it. Yeah, I yeah. I love it too. I love those movies. Honestly, I love watching. It's it's fun to watch movies like that with your kids because you remember what it was like when you were a kid watching them. Yes, it is absolutely fun. There's actually the reconstruction of a woolly mammoth in a museum in Bergamo. If you ever are in that part of Italy, in the Natural History Museum, you should take your your kids. I'll send you a picture. Awesome. Uh, but I digress. So do you think about sustainability in terms of the UN sustainable goals? I know you are a financial reporter, so maybe you also, you know, look at sort of the larger global context of the UN sustainable development goals. I don't know if um, in America, not that many people measure themselves against the UN sustainable development goals, but in Europe and other countries, companies talk about them a lot. Have you run, run across that at all? That's really interesting. I I love um, the UN sustainability goals, but I don't know it, it, any, um, as far as I know, I haven't heard of any um, companies who use them as a benchmark in the US, but I think that they're really important. Um, and I think that, I think more and more um, wine regions are thinking about clean water and the impact, you know, some of the impacts that it can have on aquatic life. Um, and other, um, you know, biodiversity in general around the vineyard. I think that especially in California um, and Oregon, that is becoming a bigger and bigger topic. But it's interesting. I don't think that they have the UN as a benchmark. And I think that it could be useful. Yes, I had never seen a winery use the UN as a benchmark. And then someone I was working with, um, Valdoca came out with their first annual budget uh, and they, they, their benchmark was the UN Sustainable Development Goals. And so each of their activities, they would link to one of the UN Sustainable Development Goals. So that was really, really interesting. Um, That's fascinating. Know, the, the 17 goals. Yeah, it was a really, really interesting um, thing to read and to think about. And, you know, there's so many uh, things that we need to improve upon in, in this country. And I feel like the wine industry has begun to talk about these, um, these aspects more than in the past. You've been writing about this for a long time. Do you see a more generalized interest from colleagues and producers to talk about these topics and from consumers? What's your view? I do. And I think that um, the UN climate change report that just came out um, I think last month, I think it really scared people. And I, yeah. I, I, I have, I haven't talked to producers um, in reference to those, you know, the goals, but I have talked to them in reference to um, the climate change report. And I don't think that, you know, the, in some ways, the news, the report wasn't breaking any news, but it just said, basically, it's certain this is absolutely happening. And with everything that's happened, you know, we've had the floods in um, Germany, we've had floods all in so many states in the US, you know, the hurricanes, there's people, even climate deniers can't really get around it anymore. Yeah, it just feels like, you know, it, it's something that everybody will, will have to get on board with. And, you know, there's no kind of you know, going against evidence that we have all around the world and certainly all around the United States, whether it's in the West, the desertification and the forest fires or in the East with the floods. And I mean, we have practically monsoon weather now. 
I don't know what, you know, this recent hurricane did in your, in your area, if there was any disaster, but the street that I was living on in New Jersey became a river. I mean, it was wow. frankly, I thought my car was going to float down the river. It was a little, a little frightening. And, and we got nothing compared to what, you know, a lot of other people uh, had to, had to deal with. So I'm, I'm pretty concerned. And as, as you mentioned, having a little kid makes you triply aware of all of this, right? Yes, absolutely. Kind of, you know, top of mind, but on a p- more positive note, what do you think about kind of the quality of wine in general? Do you find that consumers are trying more wines and funkier wines and different kinds of wines and there's more sort of an open view toward wine in the I United do. States? I do. And I think that people are, especially younger people, I think they it doesn't have to be obviously um, Napa Cab anymore. That's not even necessarily... Um, on especially younger people's radar because that's what their parents and their grandparents really kind of, so they don't want to drink the same thing. So I think that there's a lot of openness and um, the natural wine movement, I know again, like canned wine, it's, it's divisive, um, but I think that that appeals to a lot of people um, in a different way to a totally different cohort. Um, and I know all of my friends who, you know, are in their 40s um, are a lot more open than we were even 10 years ago to trying grapes that we've never heard of and trying, you know, wine from Slovakia, which sounded probably really weird, quote unquote, 10 years ago is kind of, I mean, it's cool to bring an unusual bottle to a party. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of people I know are really into wines from the Czech Republic lately. Is there a wine region you're excited about? I, I mean, oh my gosh, you know, I could be here all night, but I've always been fascinated by Georgia because Mm -hmm. it's, you know, the oldest and, you know, some of the wines that I try from Georgia are just not they're not something that I'd want to drink a whole bottle of, but it's really fun to share a bottle and talk about all of the different flavors and the ways it was made. I mean, it's really interesting, but I think that, and that, I think that there's something like that happening in the craft beer world too, where you'll try a beer and you're like, I don't know if I want to drink the entire thing, but it's really fun to have a few sips and, you know, split it with a few friends. But, um, and also, I think that there's a movement towards not drinking to get drunk, but drinking to learn and drinking to have it be a conversation starter. Right. And also lower alcohol wines. Yeah. Do you find your friends looking for wines with less alcohol or drinking a little bit less or yeah. you know, may- maybe more consistently, but a little bit less in terms of you know, high alcohol? Yes. I mean, I when I see a wine that has 15%, I think to myself, well, I know it's really, you know, 15.5 or 16 because there's that right. swing. And I don't, you know, I don't want to drink that and get bombed. I'd, I'd rather have a few glasses of, you know, 12% and it, it tastes better to me. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's really interesting, all these different kinds of trends um, that are coming up. So I know you have another engagement. I, it has been so great to talk to you. We could probably dish about wines all day long and sustainability. I really appreciate you spending time with me. Um, I, so do you want to mention some of the outlets that you write for and where people can find your writing? 
Sure. And I've really enjoyed this talk too. It's been really fun. Um, and I do, I am a freelancer. So I write for Wine Searcher, um, Wine Industry Network, Wine Enthusiast, Liquor.com. Um, and that's, those are my main ones. Um, and great editors and great colleagues also on those pages. So it's fun. That's great. Well, you're a great writer, Kathleen. I really always like your, your work. So well, thank you so thank much you. for sharing uh, your you. ideas. Thank you. All right. This was great. This was a great conversation. Have a great weekend. You too. A great conversation with Kathleen Wilcox, a freelance writer. I'm going to be speaking next week with Tobias Webb, the founder of Innovation Forum and Sustainable Wine. I look forward to that conversation. I want to thank you for listening to the Vigneto podcast. You can find the Vigneto podcast on Fridays, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate it. This is Vigneto, a podcast. From the sun and soil they grow. From the land and sea they